Coming up on Broadway Radio. An interview with 2020 Tony Award nominee Lindsay Jones. We talk about the upcoming Audible release of the Williamstown Theatre Festival and a possible future Broadway production of A Streetcar Named Desire, starring Audrey McDonald and Carla Gugino. We also catch up with what Lindsay's been doing since March. This is James Marino, and you are listening to Broadway Radio. With us today, we have a very special guest. Tony Award nominee. Twice Tony Award nominee. Lindsay Jones, friend of Broadway Radio's back. Lindsay, thanks for coming back. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, twice. Twice nominated in the 2020 season. Uh, nominee uh, for Slave Play, Best Sound Design of a Play, and Best Original Score Written for the Theater two times nominee congratulations thank you thank you very much it is straight up insane it is crazy. well well tell me uh <laughs> are they consulting on the date to the tony ward tony ward date for you you know uh, are they, are they building I, it around your schedule <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> I, I wish but sadly no also my schedule is fairly open so um, <laughs> it, it is I, however I, they want so last time, um, last time uh, you and I spoke on Broadway Radio, um, yeah. we we talked about your uh, your your plane schedule and your million miles in the air and things like that. How many miles have you logged this year? Do you know off the top of your head? Very few, very very, very few. few. I mean, I I things were going pretty good up till <laughs> March, and then then I've I've taken a total of one flight, and that's it. So uh, <laughs> one flight home. Yeah, one flight home, and that is that. So it's been a very slow, slow flying time for me now. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, what, uh, you and I traded some emails. Uh, we were joking about there, there's another Lindsey Jones out there that uh, is, uh, he, he, what is he? He's some sort of sports ball guy? Yes, it's a she. Uh, it's a she. She is a she. Yes, she's, she, um, if I I first heard of her when she was reporting for the Denver Post, but she is kind of the, as I understand it, the the sort of preeminent sports writer for the Denver Broncos. Like that is her. Ah, I, I think she now works for ESPN. But um, yes, frequently, well, not frequently, occasionally, I will get people contacting me looking for her. I I can't imagine she has the same problem. But but yes, the Lindsey Jones in Denver. Uh, in Denver sports is very popular. So she tweeted something about uh, quarterbacks in the NFL and Keith Olbermann retweeted it. And I was like, Whoa, Lindsay got retweeted by Keith, but it was the wrong Lindsay. (laughs) Totally the wrong Lindsay. Yes. But it gave us an opportunity to talk about your, uh, did I mention that you got twice nominated for a Tony award this year? You did. Thank you. So that's, uh, (laughs) I'm so glad to have you back on, but also, uh, you know, when we were trading some emails, you, you reminded me that we have this, this incredible audible project that uh, came in from the, uh, the WTF as we like to call them, the Williamstown theater festival. Which is which WTF were you thinking of? So, oh. uh, <laughs> so the Williamstown Theater Festival had a little skit uh, with uh, Carla Gugino and Audra McDonald, uh, and um, did, so was it you that recorded it, or what happened there? Well, so I I was there for the sessions of the recording, um, mm-hmm. but I I did not personally record it. Basically, the the sound design. Uh, I created the sound design and the original music for the piece. So mm-hmm. 
when you hear the final production, most of what you'll hear is me. But in terms of the recording of the voices, Audible has this uh, very elaborate system in which they send out essentially different computers with microphones attached to each of the actors. Nice. And they then sort of find the quietest room in their house to record all of their vocal tracks in, which for most of them was a bedroom closet of some kind. Yeah, the so, New York Times had that article uh, a couple of days yeah. ago. I'll link to that in the show notes with a picture of Audra and Carla seemingly in their wardrobe closets, uh, in their closets recording there. Uh, yeah. It, it, that seems to be uh, maybe the, we should do that in Broadway Radio, send out like a $5,000 rig to each one of our uh, interviewees. Well, I know you guys are rocking a huge budget, so I'm sure that's going to be no issue for you at all. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Your honorarium will come uh, by Zell. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they uh, thankfully, the uh, the incredible engineers of Audible did an amazing job of sort of making sure that we got great audio recorded for the baseline vocals. And then after that, it was my job to sort of take those vocals and um, – work with them depending upon it because there are a number of times in the play where they're they're outside on the street or they're upstairs in an apartment or they're in a bathroom and I have to sort of take what are basically straight recorded vocals of people just acting into a microphone and make it seem like they're in another room or in another uh have other acoustic dimensions so that was a really um fun and interesting challenge to work on now we were uh, talking with Mari Yeston uh last week and uh, we were talking about uh, Audible doing so many great things uh, with theatrical pieces, and certainly Audible and Amazon, who owns Audible, had started this process years ago. Uh, was this particular project something that happened before the pandemic, or just, di- or did it happen after the fact? That I, I wasn't really sure because some of the things are just happened concurrently right around that March-April time. It's my understanding of what, what happened was that originally this production was scheduled for this past summer at Williamstown Theater Festival. Oh, okay. Um, and they had it all lined up to be on stage. And when it became, became clear that there would be no live theater this summer, mm-hmm. um, uh, they pivoted and went to Audible and sort of said, how would you like to create audio drama versions of the plays that we had previously ha- had planned for our summer? And then they put that in motion. So it, it sort of became an audio drama, at, you know, as a, you know, a way to make sure the production still happened. And I think there are plans for um, Streetcar, the play, to be presented in a live theater setting at some point in the future, whenever we're all back. Um, but for now, this is what we're doing, and we have this audio drama, which I think is really incredible, and I'm looking forward to people hearing it. I, I read in the New York Times article that it was uh, going to be at Williamstown Theater Festival, then scheduled to come into Broadway. And uh, that, Yeah, that's the plan. That was the plan. So, uh, yeah, and uh, with the great news in the last couple of weeks that um, that a, a, a vaccine is, is on its way, uh, yes. gives us hope oh, that we're going to be returning to to Broadway uh, soon, but let me ask you about you know uh, the ironic part about this whole thing is that a couple of years ago I don't know if you remember but a couple of years ago the Tony Awards decided that sound wasn't important I don't know if you remember that 
Uh, yes, uh, that rings a bell. Yes, that rings a bell. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was some sort of collaboration, collaborators' party, things like that. Anyway, yes. but uh, but ironically, it turns out that sound has been the thing that has kept theater going through this whole pandemic. And isn't that ironic? It's amazing. It's wonderful. I, I can't tell you how exciting I find that to be. And I'm, I'm hopeful that all of these people who are doing their absolute best in the world of theater, trying to make things work, try and keep their creative spirit alive by using technology in a new way, in a ex- new and exciting way to create theater-like pieces. Um, I hope the enthusiasm for technology, specifically sound and music, stays after we get back to theater. Yeah. It would be really amazing if, if people sort of finally really understand how important sound is and what an amazing tool of storytelling sound can be. So I, I, I'm super excited. I, it's all my greatest hope that everyone suddenly goes, oh, wait, I get it. Sound is important. Yeah. Uh, so it's great. <laughs> really exciting. Uh, uh, so uh, any, is, is this the, the first delve into audio uh, books type of thing, or have you done this type of thing before? I've done a few projects before. Um, I had worked with Audible a couple of years ago on another show that was uh, created by Sharon Washington called Feeding the Dragon, which originally ran um, at primary stages and then was sort of converted into an audio drama performance. But in that case, that's just one person and it's a one woman Mm. show. So she just sort of did the show herself. And thankfully my music and sound effects were used for that piece. But this is a completely different animal. It's a cast of, I believe, 16 actors. And, um, you know, we're trying to create a performance, which is really, um, I think, something that is not only new to me, but it's also new to Audible, who has largely produced audiobooks. And uh, I think they're still in the early stages of, of audio drama. So we we absolutely learned a lot through this process about you know, how to do it, how to do it properly. And I think it's been a really interesting educational experience for all of us. But um, interestingly enough, I've actually gotten several other jobs doing um, audio drama podcast work through this pandemic. Um, I'm now sort of the staff sound designer for a podcast that is called The Imagine Neighborhood, which is a, a podcast for elementary school age children to learn more about their feelings and emotions, which has been a great experience. It's been so much fun to work on that. Um, And then I've also managed to work on another podcast called The Intercept and people uh, keep sort of reaching out. I also, um, I, I, uh, I was, uh, I'm teaching uh, classes this fall at the university of North Carolina school of the arts. And I had the opportunity to sort of, um, be an advisor to the students there as they did an audio drama production of um, Henry Five, which is really cool. Um, I'm so glad to have the students do that. They did an amazing job. Does that so, fit into the uh, Shakespeare's that you needed to do? No, I got two left. Okay, two left. So, which ones? We got to right, punch them I out need, again. All right. If anyone out there is doing either The Winter's Tale or Two Gentlemen of Verona, those are my last two Shakespeare plays I have left in my career. Really? Yeah, that's it. And then I'm done. So if anyone out there is planning an audio version or a stage version of those plays and is interested in a sound designer, 
please contact me. I'd be super excited to do it. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to call the public. <laughs> so wait, no, I'll, I'll do that later. They're busy. Okay. Thank um, you. Yeah, no, uh, that's surprising because th- those are two that, um, I, I, you know, occasionally see them uh, floating around. So it's surprising yeah. that you haven't done those yet. It is. I, for some reason, I get called for the weird plays, which is fine. I, I enjoy doing yeah. the weird plays. But uh, and, and, done, and you, you worked at Oregon Shakes for a long time, huh? I, I did. I've worked at Oregon Shakes a couple of times. And um, my main, one of my main creative partners is um, Chicago Shakespeare, who I really oh, enjoy yeah, working for. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And also the Utah Shakespeare Festival, who, God willing, yeah. I will be at the Utah Shakespeare Festival this coming June. We'll oh, can you find that obelisk? What happened to it? Uh, I did not. No, it wasn't me. Although, did you just hear that obelisk is now in Romania? Is in what? It's in Romania. It showed up in Romania. What? No. <laughs> Stop it. It's in Romania. I, we're not allowed to travel out of the United States. How did the obelisk get to travel? I don't know, oh, man. man. I don't know. That, that's, uh, you know, the whole, you know, Utah is weird enough as it is. And Agreed. then the red, red rocks and then yeah. the obelisk shows up and then it disappears. And oh, my goodness. Wow. I have no explanation. Totally. I'm going to call the obelisk Lindsay Jones, too. Okay, fine. As you Audrey wish. Too. Audrey, too. Lindsay Jones, too. <laughs> you know, so. Um, uh, so uh, you were, we were talking about uh, other types of uh, audio books that you've uh, – you've worked on before and yeah. this this so in the past i mean not so much I, I can't think of anything in the last 20 years or so but there used to be cast recordings of plays yes that's true it's interesting because you know the 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 art of the audio drama is very old and if you oh, yeah. think about radio it plays. radio plays were the yeah. start of them sure and uh, you know um back in the 20s through the 40s it was very very popular to create all these types of radio plays it was a form of entertainment and uh, then Lindsay, once t- television jones too away the uh the lindsey jones two thing that, that could be the war of the worlds that we could the, the new yes. Orson world well you know the obelisk has shown up in romania and it has shown up here and it's shown up there and you you could you i'm sure you could do that you could put that together yeah, I'll, I'll work yeah. on that right away. I'm a little nervous about having my name connected to the obelisk in case the obelisk does something awful and then everyone will blame me. Yeah, but, I mean, that, that's what people are worried about, Baby Yoda. What if Baby Yoda turns out to be evil? Indeed. Oh, there's always you know. there's always a risk with Baby Yoda. <laughs> At least he's got a name now. Gar, 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 I forget his name. Gogon. Gogon. Yeah. Gogon. So, um, you know, what have you been up to, you know, now that you are locked at home and you know we talked about your schedule yeah. uh, a couple of years ago when you were last on and that you always made this promise to uh to get home wherever you were on your day off yeah uh, and so you were home on sundays or mondays or something along those lines however your schedule fell right. and, and now, now you're home 24 7 and making tiktok videos with your daughter yeah um uh, you know what? What's it like? Are they ready? To, are, are, is the family is is Jamie saying, "Hey, hey, when's Broadway starting again?" I mean, yeah, I definitely feel like my family has moments of like, "When are you leaving?" Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but I mean, honestly, I I feel strangely very lucky to have had this time with my family. Sure. I really do. I 
I've enjoyed it so much. I've really gotten a chance to get closer with my, my kids and spend time with them. And, you know, it's also, it's weird, right? Like it's given me this opportunity to be like, okay, I've always defined my life by my job. That's how I've always defined everything. And, um, now without having a job, you're forced to really like say, well, okay, who am I? Um, and what do I, what do I care about and stuff like that? So it's been, um, it's been a real great time of personal growth and connection to my family and friends that I didn't have before. And I dare I say it, having a break from theater has made me feel slightly more healthy, which is, and I, I'm not saying that like, I, I don't want to go back to theater or I'm not grateful to the theater, but, but it is a little strange. Like I'm, I'm taking good care of myself and it's very unnerving. It's very, it's, it's unsettling. So uh, I've noticed here that, that you have a, a new photograph uh, uh, on yeah. Facebook, your, your new Facebook profile. And, and I dare say that Lindsay, you're getting younger. You're, you're getting, <laughs> you're getting younger and thinner, Lindsay, thinner. Oh. I, I, you went on a diet. Uh, definitely. You're going to the gym. I yeah. mean, you're, you're looking good there, Lindsay. I mean, uh, you, uh, are far too kind. you are making the most of this, uh, this pandemic, aren't you? I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. I mean, that's what I, what, I got another option. I gotta, I gotta try my best to, uh, you know, take advantage of the time. And I, I've also been working on a lot of projects that are really personal to me. I've been, um, in addition to, you know, taking care of myself, um, and to, and spending more time with my family, I've also, um, I've been writing a musical, which, uh, is hopefully going to premiere next summer in Chicago at 16th street theater called Botanic garden, which I'm co-writing with Todd Logan. And then, uh, in addition to that, um, I have been working a lot for this organization that I am the co-chair of the executive board of called Theatrical Sound Designers and Composers Association. TSDCA is the acronym for it. And um, that is a national organization for uh, people working in America as composers and sound designers for live entertainment. And so one of the things that I've been working on is creating, helping to create network networking events and uh, educational opportunities for everybody who is out of work is sound design, uh, sound designers and composers. Um, and really, um, it's been a wonderful opportunity for the sound design community to come together as a whole and support each other through this tough time, as well as, um, give one another advice and information and help so that they can, you know, make this pandemic productive for them as well. So it's been a, it's been a really great experience. So you live out on the left coast, uh, and um, it seems as though that Hollywood and, and television have uh, started to come back. Uh, uh, certainly, more than Broadway has. Uh, has this uh, been alluring to you? Absolutely. I mean, um, I have been long interested in creating music for television and film. Um, I just, one of the projects I, I did over this pandemic was um, scoring a television pilot uh, called Brothers-in-Law, which um, I believe is uh, somewhere in the world of being looked at by different television networks for hopefully being picked up, knock on wood, knocking on wood. And, mm-hmm. and of course, I, I have um, I have a background, uh, quite a background now in, in scoring film and television. I've done about 35 projects and um, 
I would love to do more. I, I find film and television really exciting and really challenging. So yeah, I'm, I'm super into that. And uh, most of what I've done in film and television has usually been theater directors who have crossed over and mm-hmm. wanted to move into the- from theater into film. And so every once in a while, they'll give me a call and say, hey, I've got this project. But, but uh, yeah, if anybody out there is looking for a composer for your film or television project, or even, you know, some sort of web-based project, please feel free to give me a call. I'm always interested. Yeah, isn't it? It's interesting the way that the web-based projects have really uh, come into their own in the last six months or so with this big yeah. fight fight between Equity SAG-AFTRA about who's going to have jurisdiction over these projects. So, uh, is that happening on the sound design side as well, where the uh, who represents sound designers as a union? Sound designers are covered by United Scenic Artists, oh, twenty nine, yeah. yeah, which is um, sort of a subdivision mm-hmm. of IATSE, the International Alliance of uh, International Association of Theatrical Stage Employees. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been an interesting time for us because I think what, what happened is um, all of these theaters wanted to sort of pivot since they could not do live entertainment into recorded entertainment. Um, and they are for better or for worse, totally novice producers of this kind of recorded entertainment. And so they just thought, well, we'll just start recording everything and we'll just do it the way we do it. Um, and what I think there's been a growing pain in the sense that um, audio dramas and podcasting is a well-established field that is not has was not invented at the beginning of the pandemic. It's actually mm. been in yeah. place for quite some time. And so um, for many sound designers, it was a learning curve for us to sort of understand the level of work that it takes to create something like that. It's much more intensive than a theater experience. Um, and also for theater producers, uh, it's been important for them to understand that with that amount of work that sound designers have to put into it, um, that there are rates that are uh, different than theater rates to, in order to accommodate the amount of work that it takes. And so I think in the beginning, theaters were like, well, well this is some cheap thing we can do. We'll hire somebody for a very small amount of money to do it. And then it's been a, a a learning process as many of the sound designers within it, USA 29 have sort of been like, Hey, let me talk to you about how much work this is and why the fees that are out there are the way they are. It's um, and so, and for sound designers, we really wanted to make sure that we weren't undercutting the people who are already in this field and are, you know, have they've set these rates and it's not fair for us to sort of, just show up and start doing everything for half as much as they are. So we had to, we had to be responsible on our end and making sure that we were properly representing the field. And also for the theater producers, I think it's been a learning curve to understand what, what it means to produce these types of projects and, and uh, you know, and how to do it responsibly. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, I think a lot of things have been resolved and a lot of uh, people have gotten a better understanding of it. So 
I'm really hopeful that even once live theater comes back, that audio projects and Zoom theater projects like this will still be of interest as a way for them to continue their outreach to different audiences, because I really think it's an amazing opportunity. And I also think it's an amazing way to give additional employment and additional creative opportunities to music and sound people that are out there. I mean, you're up against the uh, the business school triangle, the uh, good, cheap, and fast. You can have two of the three, but yeah. you can't you can't have all of them. So, yeah, uh, I, I mean, uh, you're educating the uh, the the money people in, insofar as as is if they want to put out a um, a good product, they gotta you know get some get some money into the into the program so and it's very very common th- common themes that we're seeing across the board for our friends who uh uh across all industries who are working in entertainment and in broadway and everything else right yeah it's i mean it's a very cool thing though i mean what's what i think i have really discovered and i especially discovered this doing a streetcar named desire which is you know, a play from 1951. Um, it's almost 70 years old now. Um, but that Tennessee Williams in how he imagined the play and certainly in a lot of his stage directions was really kind of a visionary in terms of how sound and music could be used in a, in a play in a sort of expressionistic way. And I, it's, I have honestly wondered if, when he was writing the play, he was really feeling like, I'm going to write all this stuff out. I know they're not going to be able to accomplish all of this in 1951, which I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they weren't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but in 2020, um, there is the technology to take that on. And there is a way to sort of elevate that storytelling with these additional sound elements that he's prescribed. And it's, it's really kind of exciting to feel like we are serving that playwright's vision with these new sort of sound technologies that that just didn't exist when he was alive even. Um, So it's kind of fun. And I, I also feel like too, the other thing I think I've really discovered is because I've worked on zoom plays and I have Mm -hmm. worked on audio drama plays and I'm going to say something slightly controversial, which is I believe that audio dramas are the real heir to actual live theater more than Zoom plays. And the reason I feel that way is because when you go to the theater and watch a play or see a show, um, you know, walking in the door that what you're seeing is only a suggestion. It's only the beginning. You, You look at a set on stage and you know that that is not a real piece of architecture. Um, it's just a suggestion and you're, creative imagination really fills in the details around Mm -hmm. that thing that you don't see. And so that's part of, that's part of the audience buy-in of any, of watching any play is engaging your imagination in sort of creating the additional world that exists around that live theater piece. And when I listen to audio drama, I'm having the same experience, which is I'm having to create what these characters look like. I'm having to create where they are in my head. I'm having to understand all of that stuff. I'm, I'm engaging those same 
creative muscles to imagine and fill in the details. And I feel when I'm listening to an audio drama, I feel like I'm watching a play. And I don't have that experience with Zoom theater as much because in a Zoom situation, you see everything. It's all there in front of you and it's kind of flat. It's kind of two-dimensional. And there isn't a lot that can be done to really expand upon it beyond that two-dimensional sphere. So as a result, I never seem to have the same level of satisfaction that I have with audio drama. And that's why I really believe that audio drama has a future beyond the pandemic in terms of engaging audiences and hopefully even finding new audiences, God willing. That would be amazing. I, I I totally agree with you. It's been a lot of the feedback that I've heard from many people during the pandemic when Zoom plays have really taken off a lot of readings, a lot of uh, different performances put up. And they're great, but they're no replacement. But the audio drama uh, is uh, – it's interesting what you're saying because, as I mentioned, we talked to Maury Yeston and, and, and we talked about Titanic. And I point black asked him, I was like, did we really need a whole ship to sink on a Broadway stage? And he said, no, no, Lord, no. He said, he said well, they had a wonderful production of Titanic in London where uh, where it was, it, everything was implied, and he was saying exactly the same words and phrases you were just saying that uh. the mind fills it in and it. And that's what the theater's about. I mean, if if you want to see the the if you want to see the ship sink, rent the Leo movie. You know, the yeah. Kate, the Kate movie. It's a great movie. It's a, you great know, movie. it's Leo Leo and Kate, and you watch the whole thing. You know what bothered me about the movie? What they they built an exact replica of the Titanic, but it was only ninety percent of the size. I was like, if you're going to go 90%, you might as well go the whole 100%. You know, I was like, yeah, you know that if you're going to cut, you know, you're just like, oh, we're blowing the budget. We're $125 million back when Titanic was made. You know, that was a lot of money. I um, bet it's just they couldn't find a building that was 100% big enough to hold it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So, oh, well. yeah. Yeah, I mean uh, – I appreciate what you're saying there, and I think that that a lot of people have said the same st- stuff about uh, Zoom, and uh, with the work that uh, Amazon and Audible are doing and putting money, I mean they're they're putting money into this, you know, mm-hmm. you you, you uh, to be able to capture you know Audra and Carla and and a production like that that was pre Broadway and for them to have the foresight to say, this is what we're going to do. I mean, uh, we're, and we're seeing this right now with uh, Netflix and some of the projects that Netflix is uh, putting the money into. Yeah. And I mean, the truth is, I'm going to be totally honest with you, James. These actors are absolutely amazing in this production. They're so good. I mean, like they're so good. And uh, I, I remember watching what was kind of like, their first read through on zoom and you know everybody is sort of figuring out what they're doing and like you know you when you you've seen a first rehearsal of a show at some point and you know it's it it's like it's just a suggestion of what's to come and just watching the first read through of this play i i was absolutely blown away by how good they were and like their their instincts have all done have only increased. And I, I know that as good as this audible production is, and I think it's really, really excellent. 
when the play comes to the live stage, it's going to be a completely different and also incredibly satisfying experience. And so like, I, I honestly feel like people can really get something out of this audible production and then go see the play and, it, and it'll still feel like a completely different experience just because of how good it is. That is uh, so d- did they, when they had the audible production, uh, so Robert O'Hara directed it at Williamstown. Did Robert O'Hara more or less direct the audible production? Or did audible bring in a, a, a director to work with O'Hara or do you know? No, Robert was the, was the director of, of the entire piece. And, um, you know, I, I will say that Robert is, in my opinion, one of the great theater visionaries currently working in America. He is, um, in my opinion, a truly unique and incredible individual. And he has a very, very specific and unique sensibility that is unmatched by anyone. And he took that sensibility and um, just immediately adapted it to um, audio drama and really turned in something kind of amazing. Um, And I mean, the reason why I love working with him so much is because he is incredibly daring and takes risks. And I mean, I, I will say that, you know, I think there may be people who, who might be really surprised or shocked by this radio, uh, this audio drama production of it. It is, it is not entirely what you're expecting. Um, it is unusual. And that is entirely due to Robert's directorial vision, which is, um, which is, really incredible do you know during the production of this if um uh, were the actors live but remote to each other during this recording or did they record isolated so it's a really interesting um setup that we had to do because of course the actors need to be able to act with each other but they are, they're not really looking at each other. They're actually just responding to the voices. Mm -hmm. So the way it was set up was, is that each actor would have a microphone that went into a separate computer and that computer was monitored by engineers from Audible. So that was how we were getting the best quality audio sound for what they were doing. But at the same time, there would also be a second computer, which was um, connected to sort of a Zoom-like atmosphere in which all of the cast was um, on that Zoom. So they would be monitoring the other actors' vocals through that, that computer with, the, with Amazon Chime, which is um, Chime is sort of Amazon's version of Zoom. Mm-hmm. And... So they would, they would respond and act with each other through that chime. But what they were actually sp- saying and was being recorded into a completely different device that was getting high-quality audio that we could work with. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's really very cool. Uh, I will have a link to the uh, Audible uh, the audible production of this in the show notes as well. And Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing some of this with us. It's really awesome. And I'd love for you to come back and uh, talk with us again when your uh, play goes up in Chicago. 
Oh, thanks. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much. I would love that. And as always, it's a wonderful pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, James. Mm-hmm.